0: The release of Pydantic 2.0, its partial rewrite in Rust, and its refactoring into Pydantic Core and top-level Pydantic in Python is big news. In fact, the alpha of Pydantic 2 was just released. Of course, these changes will have potentially wide-ranging and positive effects on the libraries that are built upon Pydantic, such as FastAPI, Beanie, and others. That's why this chance I had to catch up with Samuel Colvin from Pydantic and Sebastian Ramirez from FastAPI together live from PyCon 2023, was really timely. It's a super fun and wide-ranging interview I'm sure you'll enjoy. Plus, there's a bit of an Easter egg in the middle. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 415, recorded on location at PyCon in Salt Lake City on April 23rd, 2023. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Mastodon, where I'm at mkennedy, and follow the podcast using at TalkPython, both on bostodon.org. Be careful with impersonating accounts on other instances. There are many. Keep up with the show and listen to over seven years of past episodes at TalkPython.fm. We've started streaming most of our episodes live on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel over at TalkPython.fm slash YouTube to get notified about upcoming shows and be part of that episode. This episode is sponsored by Sentry. Don't let those errors go unnoticed. Use Sentry. Get started today at TalkPython.fm slash Sentry. And it's brought to you by InfluxDB. InfluxDB is a database purpose-built for handling time series data at a massive scale for real-time analytics. Try it for free at TalkPython.fm slash InfluxDB. Samuel, Sebastian,
1: super nice to see you here at PyCon. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having us. It's, it, it's strange and exciting to do this live and to it see is, you. Is, yes, it. I know. It's Normally so it's uh, cool, so.
0: remote over uh, screen share over half the world or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I've been able are.
1: to talk with you, like, also with Samuel here. Like It's, it's super cool, super cool yeah, to be yeah. here.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's really fun being at PyCon and then doing this is like, yeah, even more fun. I've done my talk, so I'm much more relaxed than I would have been if it had been this time yesterday. I was just
0: thinking, when, uh, talking to someone else, like one of the best parts about giving a talk is that when it's over, you can really relax. You know what I mean? You're like, okay, now I can enjoy the conference.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And the parties, because you
0: can't go too big on the parties if you got to talk.
2: I feel like all the best ones were last night. I feel I'm like. I'm afraid
0: we were at a pretty good one last <laughs> night,
2: weren't we? Yeah. Yeah. But that was excellent. All right, well. Really good
0: to have you both at the show. I guess you hardly need introductions. Uh, You both are doing such cool work. We've had you on the show several times each. So maybe just let's start with a a catch up. Like, you both have lots of big news. Don't want to necessarily spoil too much, but you know, what have you been up to?
2: Yeah, so I raised, raised money earlier this year. Well, it was all sorted last year. Money came in in January this year, start a company around Pydantic. So I've been busy hiring, got a team of seven now, one more going to join in June. And yeah, currently we're working full-time on Pydantic version 2, getting that released. And then after that, we're going to move on to the commercial plans, which I'm not talking about too much, mostly because they're up in the air a bit. Also, because if you start talking about them, you have to finish talking about them. And then that's like, I'll just like take over the whole podcast. So I'll uh, I'll say that, yeah, working on Pydantic v2 for now and then, then moving on soon.
0: Well, first from the whole community, congratulations. You must be really thrilled.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. It's a very surreal, right? Because I was going to say, I, I had, did you
0: see this coming?
2: No, I didn't. I had <laughs> um, I, my plan had been to start a different company once Pydantic v two was done, and uh-huh. then in November, I um, uh, Bogomil from Sequoia, who Sebastian knew, Sebastian recommended he chatted to me. We had a call. We had another call two weeks later, and then he said, "Let's have the final meeting with like a few more partners to decide whether to invest in two weeks' time." So I thought, oh, I should probably go and speak to some other VCs. So Sebastian very kindly got me lots of intros. My girlfriend also got me some intros. I had like five meetings lined up. And then the like, floodgates opened and I got another like 20 or so VCs emailing me, being like, please, can I call?
0: <laughs> Starting to hear about, uh, yeah. oh, why are we not part of this, this right. uh, and, wave? Um, yeah.
2: Then I got COVID. So I spent a week like, locked in the bedroom upstairs doing VC calls, most of them with the, with the like, camera off, feeling absolutely horrific. And yeah, and then and then came back full circle, back and had the big big call with Sequoia and took their money. Oh, wow, okay, so
0: it was Sequoia that invested. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. That's that's a big name to have behind you. So it's
2: Sequoia and Partech, who are the smaller VC, who are like French American, and then Irregular Expression, which is this really cool CTO network based, kind of again like New York and, and Paris, mm-hmm. and then a bunch of angels.
0: Yeah. Last time we spoke, it was about Pydantic V two, and then yeah. all of this broke and yeah
2: yeah. So- I feel like I'm just back up to as in Problem was that although I was doing it to speed up, that was there were then two months of yeah. basically doing meetings and doing legals. So I think I've now got a team sufficiently that I'm like caught up to where I would have been if I had just sat there and written code all along. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's how it goes, right? Yeah. You gotta you gotta put a little more sand in the gears to to, uh, to grow, I guess. And Sebastian, how about you? What are you what have you been up to? How you been?
1: Oh, I've been good. I've been good. Yeah, <laughs> very excited about like what they are doing at Titanic It's like the team they are assembling is like just amazing and like yeah just like recently working a bunch in fast api and like Mm -hmm. diaper and and actually like in also some of the low level things of fast api and also not just fast api but like the things that go underneath right now like one of the things that i am pushing for is having documentation of the api reference of the reference of the each one of the parameters for what it is for each one of the methods like all the stuff yeah and i want to do it in a in a better way that is more maintainable and that I can test the actual documentation for those parameters and consistency between like, there's a bunch of things that I'm trying to do. And like, it also goes to the low levels of like typing and interacting with the people that is handling typing and like all the stuff that, that is super cool, super exciting. But like, I think it can work and it can it can make these things have like, you know, like the API reference for the tools is something that a lot of people have been requesting. And like being able to have that in a way that is easy to maintain that can work well and that I can handle like I think that's that's super exciting on that side and on the other side of course like the integration with pydantic v2 is super exciting now that they have like the first alpha available it's like it is I mean
0: here you are going along working on fast API everyone I talk to is just universally impressed with it you know <laughs> honestly like I've never heard a bad thing about fast API and people are really enjoying it and then here comes Samuel just changing the foundation, changing up Finantic. Making <laughs> <laughs> yeah, No, 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 I'm just teasing. And so how much work is that actually going to be to kind of so make actually, change? Is it kind of nothing or is it some work?
1: No, like there will be some working fast. Okay. Like, the thing is, for final users, it will be like almost transparent. Right. Uh, they will probably, like if they are doing like weird stuff, complex things, like that touches the corner cases of things like that, like they will probably have to update some things. But for most of the use cases, it will be pretty much transparent for people. And they right. will just like
2: get like the, like, I don't know, like 10, 20x performance from Python V2. And also like the- I was gonna say, just on the performance, I'm sorry to interrupt you. One of the big things that we will be able to, you'll be able to drop from Fast API is the, I'm gonna call it a hack, but it's not your fault, it's my fault. <laughs> Of like, don't, the, the don't ask the type problem of, of serialization. Yeah. So I think that the like speed up on serialization in FastAPI could exceed, like, you know, could be even bigger than that. I don't know that yet, but I, like, I'm really hopeful for some like massive improvements because of fixes in Pydantic that make FastAPI simpler and more elegant.
0: Yeah. And since they're turning up the lights, we, we'll see how long we last here. <laughs> we'll, we'll stay as long as we can. If you hear any noise in the background, that's because they're trying to tear down PyCon, but we're going to are tearing we're, down
2: PyCon around us, it We seems. will
0: not let it be torn out. It will live on. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's not because of PyDantic v 2 <laughs>
0: <laughs> So, yeah, we may have to pause and move, but we'll, we'll find out. Anyway, from a, a user for PyDantic, Samuel, if if you haven't gone to, like, deeply gone into, like, root object validation and all that kind of stuff, it's probably you won't even know, right?
2: So, I think the hardest thing, yeah, you're right. The vast majority of your code will either continue to work or we'll have a. <laughs> um, we'll I'm have. If you get yeah. run
0: over by a forklift, it's going to really slow down the development of PainAndic, uh, by the way. Uh,
2: if, <laughs> uh, we're going to have a, a mod tool to, to change the name of methods. So, with luck, the vast majority of the changes should be automated. Yeah. I suspect that, and I was saying this earlier in the open space, the hardest thing is probably going to be where your API subtly changes in its restrictions because of effectively edge cases that Pydantic has fixed. Like So for example, in Pydantic v1, we would coerce an int to a string. If you, if you passed a string to a, an int to a string field, we would coerce it. I think that that's wrong and we shouldn't have done it, and so now we don't. But I was saying in the example, if for some reason you stored your IDs as strings and therefore your API had the ID field as a string, but your user was just like pumping them into your API as integers, because that seemed to make sense to them, right. that's gonna break. And you probably haven't got any unit tests that test that because you know your ID field is a string. So I feel sorry for those people. And yeah, my big, biggest like request would be if you're, if you're a user, try Pydantic V2 as soon as possible. I know if you use it via FastAPI, you, you can't yet, but like all the other libraries, but the sooner you can try it, the sooner you can tell us, and the more easily we can fix things. And we are prepared to add compatibility shims
0: Okay. Well, there, I mean, in Python, we have sort of a from futures import. Well, there'd be from a, from history import type of like reverse thing to s-
2: slow that down or is it going to be a deprecation or is it just... So uh, we're, we're doing deprecation warnings everywhere we can or deprecation errors yeah. saying this has gone away. You probably want to replace it with this thing. We're working really hard on that. We haven't got a like from future import or a, yeah, yeah. a, or a compact layer yet for actual like validation logic. But if we have to, we will.
0: Yeah. Okay. You'll see, right? See how much screaming...
2: What we didn't want to do was try and guess at what the problems were and build a compatibility layer that people didn't need. Yeah, so that's of course. that's why yeah, we're why we doing it this way. Yeah,
0: that makes a lot of sense. You want to go as minimal backwards trying to, to fill those gaps as possible, right?
2: And if I'm brutal about it, if, insert name of big bank that use Pydantic locks and never engage with the open source community gets stung by this, <laughs> they've never paid me a penny, and they've never engaged, Yeah. then like I'm sorry for them, but I'm not as sorry as I would be if they had, like, come and reported an issue and tried to, like, help along the way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, can we work with you to, just, like, smooth this over? And, you know, worst case, tenant, it you know, equal, equal, Pydantic, equal, equal, 1.10.
2: I think we'll carry on supporting critical security fixes for a year.
0: Okay. Um, so there's something of an LTS type of thing you're thinking? I yeah. Mean, for, not for, LTS, for a while, but... we have
2: to, right? For, for a while. And, yeah, we'll see. Look at the download numbers and, and play it by ear.
0: Yeah. All right. Cool. While we're talking about compatibility, if people are like doing a lot of the, the overriding functions and stuff in their Pydantic models, like, what, do they, what should they expect? Too many changes or pretty similar?
2: One of the biggest changes is that the init method of a, of a model is now no longer called. Okay. When you're, unless you literally call init. So if you call model validate, or if your model is nested inside another model, init is no longer called. The solution for that is to use a wrap validator or a, a model validator. But that's going to be one of the like pain points for people. But there's just it turns out with the Rust API, it's literally impossible without a massive performance hit to do that.
0: This portion of talk Python to me is brought to you by Sentry. You know that Sentry captures the errors that would otherwise go unnoticed. Of course, they have incredible support for basically any Python framework. They have direct integrations with Flask, Django, Fast API, and even things like AWS Lambda and Celery. But did you know they also have native integrations with mobile app frameworks? Whether you're building an Android or iOS app or both, you can gain complete visibility into your application's correctness both on the mobile side and server side. We just completely rewrote TalkPython's mobile apps for taking our courses, and we massively benefited from having Sentry integration right from the start. We use Flutter for our native mobile framework, and with Sentry, it was literally just two lines of code to start capturing errors as soon as they happen. Of course, we don't love errors, but we do love making our users happy. Solving problems as soon as possible with Sentry on the mobile Flutter code and the Python server-side code together made understanding error reports a breeze. So whether you're building Python server-side apps or mobile apps or both, Give Sentry a try to get a complete view of your app's correctness. Thank you to Sentry for sponsoring the show and helping us ship more reliable mobile apps to all of you. Do you already have a roadmap? Have you already tried the alpha on Fast API? Like, what's the story for you guys?
1: So, like... Pedantic-wise. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, we have actually been interacting a lot, like, with what are the changes that are needed? Like, what, what is it going to be? And, like, as someone was saying, like, I have a, a lot of, a code that is quite hacky. Uh-huh. I was actually surprised it, it didn't break much. It just like okay. really worked. And <laughs> like, it's, it's for this particular use case where you can have, like, they are so loud, they really want to tear us down. I know, <laughs> we, we, yeah, might anyway. have to, we might have to
0: be weird in a second. But like, go ahead, let's but finish yeah. this
1: start. Yeah. <laughs> so, so
2: let, one of those, like, concentration <laughs> challenge. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Validation <laughs> error, can it concentrate? <laughs> so, imagine this use case where you have user model and then yeah. this. You want to return this user model, but then you have an authenticated user model, as you were showing in the in, in the talk, in the in the PyCon talk. And then this authenticated user model has a field that is a password. If you return that use, the authenticated user directly, FastAPI does a lot of tricks to make sure that what you receive in the client side is the actual user without the password. That mm-hmm. is the thing that you declared that you were going to return. But by default, if you don't do it, through fast API, but you do it with just plain Pydantic. It will just check like, hey, is this an instance of the, the other, and then it will include include the field because like you know, because in thinking about types, it makes sense like, yeah. oh, this is a subclass of that, so it makes sense that it's valid. But when you think about data in an API, it doesn't make sense that it will include more data than what it should.
0: Right, right, right. Because you you don't want to either have a mass injection attack on the inbound data or an over yeah or exposure
1: like, on the way out, give, right? you know, give away the password from users. Is that like bad? The, I think it's pretty bad. Okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, for example, like uh, some months ago or years or something, like I remember that Kaggle, the Kaggle API was returning like some of the of the hashes of the experiments. So like, okay. you know, it's like, it's a mistake and a bit, but it's sad that it will could end up just like, filtering more data than what it should be returning and it's something that can happen very easily it ha- can happen very easily to Fast API applications if people don't specify what is the response model that, the thing that they want right. to return and they just return a bunch of data directly so Fast API does a lot of things to make sure that when you declare, declare a response model that should filter the da- this data the data is filtered but that's a lot of code in Fast API to make it compatible with right. the new Python TV2 that's going to be pretty much transparent so that's amazing
0: that is amazing. There's yeah. going to
1: be like a, a bunch of things that require like some refactoring and also making sure that the Pydantic V1 and V2 are compatible at the same time in some way so that people can have like a migration path. But yeah, like we have been making sure that like all the things that need to be changed or that need to be updated or like all the things that need to be exposed from the Pydantic side are actually available. So yeah, it's awesome that you
0: can. guys are working so closely together yeah, on yeah, this. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's going to make it... Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. In my mind, these two projects are pretty closely tied. Yeah. I know that they're not, but that's a big use case.
2: Yeah, I think that's true. And like, we know that FastAPI is by far our biggest dependent. and so we're. But also a Django Ninja, which is, I think, now second or third, maybe third after SQL model by Stars, is like Vitaly, who maintains that, has been engaging a lot with awesome. us on, on V2. So, yeah, lots of other projects are interested in it. And I think, yeah, lots of people will be able to remove messy code because of that problem. Because, that's- yeah, like the invariance of the response interface. Problem. That's fantastic. Coming back to your, your previous but question about...
0: Before you go to that, I think we should probably find okay. it. What do you think? Yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, not even necessarily. I think the audio may be okay, but just for a concentration, it's very loud with the trucks around us. I
2: feel like I'm on the deck of that aircraft carrier, yeah. so I throw things off the yeah, side. Yeah, okay, so, let's,
0: okay. let's pause this for a moment. We'll be back. Hold on. <laughs> so we have survived the disassembly. <laughs> we have returned to continue. We were talking about the integration of FastAPI and Pydantic, and that was really cool. I think... Something I'd like to kind of move to real quick is this big announcement: alpha of version two. Samuel, last time you were on the show, we spoke about the plan for version two, and now you're least in an alpha stage. Tell people where we are with this.
2: Yeah, so we're yeah we've had two alphas, maybe three alphas now out. We're basically pretty close to a feature freeze, and the plan yeah. is to release the package, release a beta, and effectively we hope that we can then release the the full full release say two weeks after that, but There'll be bugs and we'll fix them and we'll have more betas. But like, effectively, once we get to beta, the plan is that like active development is stopping, bar fixing bugs.
0: Now it's performance and bugs, right? Yeah, At and, and obviously
2: one of the big things will be once that's out, there'll be a lot more work on say FastAPI, Django Ninja, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and that might come back with we really need this thing. Either this is broken or we really need that to make it. You know, to reduce the the overhead of uh, upgrading. One of the things I did for Pydantic 1.10, which was super valuable in beta, was to go through packages with that use Pydantic, initially sorting by star, but then looking at what they actually do and trying to upgrade them. And that like found me a bunch of bugs in either libraries or in Pydantic. So okay. we're not promising we're going to go <laughs> and upgrade the whole of GitHub to Pydantic V2, <laughs> but we'll do a bit of that mostly to try and find yeah find bugs. One of the things that would be really useful is If anyone has an application that uses Pydantic, preferably without FastAPI or another library, that they would like help upgrading, we would love to come and help. And it might be a really powerful way of us, again, seeing the real pain points and identifying bugs before we get to V2. Yeah.
0: And I guess another thing to mention that is a real headline, and I also want to get your thoughts on this, Sebastian, is the performance numbers, right? I mean, you you put out some pretty pretty impressive performance numbers and Sebastian gets to piggyback on that
2: right yeah i mean yeah it, i'm i'm really proud of it right i, yeah, I think to you go in a change of release in a bump of release to be in the ballpark of 22 times faster not 22% but 22 times faster i don't know of another package that's made a upgrade of that kind of order of magnitude what's crazy is it's, it's not numerical computing right it's general purpose if you look at the example i gave in my talk earlier it's a completely standard Pynantic model with four fields. And that's where we're seeing that kind of like 22 times speed up. So I think it's going to be massive. I have my own cynicism about people who hype about performance as being the most important thing. Yeah. I don't think most applications, it's actually the thing that matters most. But I think it matters, A, it matters to everyone and everyone wants it to go in the same direction. And two, it matters to the whole world and to the whole community that we effectively reduce the energy that we that we consume like doing compute, basically. Right.
0: That's absolutely true. And also, even if people don't actually need it, there's a group of people who are like, well, I'm going to leave for Go because it's not fast enough, or I can't do enough concurrency or whatever. And if they don't have that feeling, even if they didn't actually need that percentage increase, that's still really good for the Python community.
2: Even me, I was saying I had a, like a gigabyte of data from Web Analytics that I was I needed to load into a Polar's data frame. And for that, I needed to A, extract some attributes from Nested fields and be parse dates and things like that, and I use PyLantic v2, and like it was you know vastly faster with v2. It went yeah, from like, awesome. toodling, tiddling what's the word I'm looking for twiddling your thumbs to um, <laughs> to to like it happens virtually instantly, right? And that's, that's fantastic. And that'll be you know that'll be even more true when you have an order of magnitude or two orders of magnitude more data.
0: Yeah, for sure, Sebastian. How about you? Like, what's the knock-on effect for FastAPI?
1: So I think one of the coolest things is that. People won't have to change the code to get right. that performance benefit. It's just going to be like a bump suddenly. And because of the new ways that Pydantic can handle the data, we'll, we're going to be able to. There's something that needs to be done in FastAPI, but we're going to be able to let the parsing of the data, let it, let Pydantic handle that in the Rust side. So mm-hmm. Pydantic will be able to just read the JSON bytes instead of reading them in the python side and let pydantic do that and then pydantic give them the models back to the rest of the code of fast that alone will boost performance a lot but the fact that it's being done in rust in the rust side it's just gonna be amazing yeah like one of the other things that i want to do that is on the plans is to let users define how they want to serialize data and not have like this is just like by default it's just like pydantic models and like it converts automatically to json but i want to allow users to decide how to serialize the objects and the data so that they can this like like they- data
0: classes or something like that or what? yeah for example they can okay. say like
1: oh i don't want to serialize with the standard json serializer i want to serialize with our json which is like the mm-hmm. i see rust based implementation Ah, to serialize JSON. Or they can say, like, I want PyDantic to be the one that serializes this because I know that this is just a model that can handle that. They can also, like, and this is one of the things that I think is super cool, they can also uh, create, they will be able to create a way to say, I want to serialize this response to XML or something like that, or to YAML, and to let PyDantic handle the validation, but then, like, do the serialization in a way that they can customize the whole thing without having to do it directly in the code. Maybe even some of these crazy stream buffer yeah type yeah yeah protocols. You know, like, yeah, like uh, protocol buffers with protocols, GRPC it, or yeah. like even message pack or like, you know, like a bunch of these things that there's no obvious way and there's no native way to have support for that, for reading the data and for exporting the data. And like, that's one of the, the things that I have like implants. I like, I'm probably yeah. saying too much and then I'm going <laughs> to account. And now, now, they're gonna,
0: now they're like, you know what? You promised this. You, you did promise it. Well, can I just come back on serialization yeah Yeah, yeah, please.
2: Yeah, so what we've, I've worked from October, quite, uh, like, putting to one side the whole funding round in the middle of it, was working solidly on serialization. So we have, there's almost as much code in Pydantic Core now for serialization as there is for validation. Yeah, wow. We can serialize directly to, to JSON using the same underlying library that, or JSON uses, using Serdi. But one, and also we can, you can customize how your serialization goes on a per field basis rather than on a per type basis, which is like incredibly powerful but we also allow you to effectively serialize to python so not just what used to be the dict method but basically do jsonable python so you effectively set the mode when serializing to python to json and you'll only get the like whatever it is seven primitive json types in python which is super valuable if you want your output to be xml because then you know your xml encoder only needs to bother needs to take in dictionaries lists ints floats none bool yeah <laughs> um, rather than whatever complex data you have so there's an, or I, yeah, I'm like super proud of lots of the advantages of serialization. My 45 minute talk earlier, I was able to touch about half of the, the big new features, which kind of so- talks about quite how much has changed.
0: Yeah, that's really exciting.
2: I think we definitely, I was saying earlier, I, if I had known how long it was going to take, I would never have set out on this journey. So the, <laughs> the best thing about it is I didn't <laughs> I didn't think about how long it was going to take because we didn't try and do a bit more. We tried to do everything or I tried to do everything. Mm-hmm. And That's how it's disadvantaged. It's taken longer than we had hoped. But but here here you
0: are. are. You're pretty much here. That's really good. That's really good. And so when you think about performance, right, obviously the 22 times faster is awesome. The fast API speedup is awesome. But if you do something like SQL model and fast API or Beanie and fast API, you're getting on both ends, you're getting that Beanie or the Pydantic benefits with the BD integration and the fast. So you're kind of putting pydanic in both those layers and so those speed ups are like twice as good or something like that
2: yeah right. i think you uh, well they're probably yeah they're like they're the same relatively but more in absolute terms as yeah in, yeah yeah absolutely so yeah
0: i think it's you know the fact that so many things have been built t- upon pydanic means you've just sped up a bunch of projects without them doing too much
2: yeah we get the like the win it's like c python itself getting faster helps everyone this is like the next layer down but you know as a Dependency of lots of packages we get to speed up lots of the community with one package like one person <laughs> devoting a year to it <laughs> does,
0: <laughs> does this surprise you to see all these projects coming out like here's another project based on pytantic plus you know name your other thing that it's integrated. It's been with.
2: crazy particularly in the like machine learning space where you know Langchain who are one of the like big names right now in uh, these like big language models uh, large language models all based on pydantic right yeah you were saying I think on Twitter that open API use a bunch of fast API right so, sorry, but, yeah, OpenAI, not OpenAPI. <laughs> uh, Marvin from I think from Prefect is is built on Pydantic again. So like the the wave of machine learning stuff seems to have leveraged Pydantic a whole lot. Like Dockeray being another another big example.
0: Some for Elastic and some other things as well. This portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by Influx Data, the makers of InfluxDB. InfluxDB is a database purpose-built for handling time-series data at a massive scale for real-time analytics. Developers can ingest, store, and analyze all types of time-series data, metrics, events, and traces in a single platform. So, dear listener, let me ask you a question. How would boundless cardinality and lightning-fast SQL queries impact the way that you develop real-time applications? InfluxDB processes large time series datasets and provides low-latency SQL queries, making it the go-to choice for developers building real-time applications and seeking crucial insights. For developer efficiency, InfluxDB helps you create IoT, analytics, and cloud applications using timestamped data rapidly and at scale. It's designed to ingest billions of data points in real-time with unlimited cardinality. InfluxDB streamlines building once and deploying across various products and environments from the edge, on-premise, and to the cloud. Try it for free at talkpython.fm slash InfluxDB. The link is in your podcast player show notes. Thanks to Influx Data for supporting the show. I'm sure one of the big things you're thinking going forward with FastAPI is like, how do you guys work together and make this a seamless change? What else you got? What else are you working on? What, what else do you see in the future? I have a bunch of things. Uh, so, like, Are they secret or can you tell it? No,
1: no, I, I can't tell. Okay. Uh, most of it I can't tell. I, I, just feel, I just feel the, <laughs> feel the accountability, but, like, <laughs> but I can tell. So like, I have a bunch of projects and like, the funny thing is that in some way it's kind of a dependency graph of things that I should work on. So mm-hmm. for example, I have this project generator for FastAPI to generate a project with a SQL database. I haven't updated it in a long time, and it uses SQL Alchemy. I built SQL model for that project to use it there, but I haven't updated it there because first I want to upgrade more things in SQL model. I want to finish the documentation, finish the story about migration, but then for the story about migration, I need typer for SQL model. So I need to update (laughs) things in typer. And then for typer, I want to add support for annotated, which is actually one of the big things, one of the recent big things in FastAPI is that now there's support for annotated. So. Annotated this feature from Python is like standard Python typings. You import from typing. From typings import Annotated, and then you can use that to meta information to the types that you define for parameters and like stuff. Like what? I haven't used this. I love typing. I use it all the time. And I'm, so, here I'm learning more uh, about the, typing. The thing is, it exists there in the standard library, but it doesn't have like a canonical use in Python itself. It's there mainly for for fast API and Pydantic to use it. <laughs> you know, like it's just that like. I haven't, I hadn't pushed for that before. But the thing is, you import from typing, import uh, annotated, and then you create a function that takes like a, a username, and then th- this function will normally be of type string. So it will be like, the parameter of the function it will be username colon str. Now you can say username colon annotated, and then open square brackets as if it was like a list or like mm-hmm. a dict or something. Open square square brackets, and then the first thing that you put there that's the actual type. So you will say annotated string, uh, okay. and then you can pass additional metadata afterwards. And the additional metadata is the thing that you will t- use to tell FastAPI this will be extracted from the query parameters or from the cookies or from headers. Before, and like up to recently in FastAPI, the only way to do that was using the default value of the parameter. Right, you would set the default to like a depends or... Yeah, to depends or equals a cookie or yeah, equals right. header or something like that. And then FastAPI can take the information from that to give you the data in your function. But the thing is, if you call that function manually somewhere else, the editor and Python won't complain that you are not passing some parameter that is required. And right, then you're right. going to end up with some strange value internally that is just for FastAPI.
0: Right. Or the type checker complains you're yeah. not passing a depends. Like, no, I'm passing a string. That's what it's supposed to be. But that's yeah, exactly. some like weird thing. Like exactly. Yeah, okay. So
1: for those cases, having annotated, like all the type is exactly what it is. And if it has a default value, is the actual default value instead of like some some strange uh, internal concept in FastAPI. Mm-hmm. And having support for that allows having like much better support for typings, for editors, autocompletion, inline errors, all these things. It's reusing the same functions in other places. And it will also, having support for that in Typer will allow users to have the same function being used for FastAPI and Typer, having the custom metadata necessary for each one of the parameters for FastAPI and for Typer, and things like that. So it's uh, something okay. that
2: is super powerful and super interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm going to come in on annotated because I'm excited about it too. <laughs> so, Pydantic v2, we use annotated for all of our custom types. So, for example, positive int type is just annotated of int. And then we use the annotated types package, which is some reusable metadata for annotated. Um, so, we would use uh, like positive int is annotated of int and then greater than zero. And what's even cooler is that will be used by, by Pylandic, of course. Uh, Hypothesis is going to get support for okay. that really soon, so it will only pass a positive value in if it sees greater than zero there. And then Typer, I guess, could like, even if yep. it's still based on click, it can go and take that greater than yep. and infer it as you know must be greater than zero. So I think it was one of the things that typing guys, when they first created annotated, hoped was going to build a, a rich network of, of libraries that interchanged metadata. It's taken a bit longer than they expected, but we're getting there.
0: I hear the two of you are <laughs> kind of doing that a little bit, right? That's cool.
2: That's really cool. One of the areas where I feel
0: like typing is a little janky is on ORMs and ODMs, when you define a class, you say, for example, it's like a SQL alchemy column, or it's it's a, a beanie column or something like that. And the type is it's a, interg- or, you know, a string column, but really yeah. it's a string, it's not a string column. And so there's this weirdness of using types to kind of drive behavior. That's a perfect case
2: for using annotated. That's what I
0: was thinking, yeah. Is what it?
2: it doesn't do is the other case where there is a context where you'd want to get get the column object of some sort rather than the integer in a row. So it, it does mean two different things, the kind of dot objects in the Django context, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's exer- there precisely to solve this kind of problem. And it's also because like,
1: Currently, as far as I remember, there's no way. So the, the thing is that this is all based on something called descriptors and is that the, when you call, like, I don't know, class user dot name, it's actually the attribute in the class. But when you create an instance of that user and then say user that is the attribute on the actual instance. And the way that these ODMs or ORMs or these things work is that they have a special way to say, like, when someone calls the actual class, this is a different thing than when someone calls an instance Attribute right, and there's it's sort of two behaviors. Yeah, on the yeah, context, and like right? it's super powerful. That's how sql alchemy works, and it's super powerful because then like all the queries and all the stuff is actually like consistent with how Python works. And you can say like greater than or equals to using Python syntax, mm-hmm. which is great. But then currently, as far as I know, there's no way to define that with type annotations in a standard way. I think it's something that will probably be improvable. But I think there's currently no way. There will probably be a way at some point. But to be able to say like, hey. This equal alchemy column is a column when it's accessed at the class level, but this is going to be a string when it's accessed at the, at the yeah, like instance a, level.
0: A scope level in the annotated, you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah, class so, is this like that. and this, and yeah. it's the instance is that and that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, while we're talking types, and I know you both are really big fans because it's such a central part, both your libraries. What do you want to see coming? It feels like this is an area of Python changing fast, but is there something like, they just if they could just... And I have another question on types, by the way, after that.
2: So I gave a talk at the Typing Summit asking for certain things. So now we're going to test my can I remember PEP numbers challenge, which I'm going to fail in, but PEP 472. Is that keyword args to... So one option would be to allow keyword arguments to get item, which would make annotated even more powerful because then you could use keyword arguments to describe the meaning of your metadata rather than having to have these kind of identifier types like greater than. One of the big things that I, I hope we're going to persuade. So I think one of the things that's happened recently is that everyone gets that runtime use of type hints is a legitimate thing. They might not want to do it themselves, but they get that. Like, it's a legitimate thing to do. How,
0: how much pushback was there when you first came
2: out with PyTandic theory? Like, I think you, we were like the black sheep of Python. I was a black sheep of oh, Python. This is supposed
0: to have no meaning. What are you doing? You're right. doing it wrong. Okay.
2: And I think nowadays that that's changed and everyone gets it's a real thing. But so for example. The hash of a union is independent of the order of the members of the union. That makes sense in the context of static typing, where the union of int float is exactly the same as a union of float int. It turns out in static typing, particularly when you're doing coercion, there are some cases where that is not the case. And so it's really difficult right now that effectively when you... Unions are fine on their own, but if you have a union, say, within a string, the capital string, square brackets... It will, the order will be match the order that the first time you call that, not what you actually call, unless you use lowercase string when it is the right order, except there's a PR open right now to, to break it on string too. So it, yeah. string as well. So anyway, we on lowercase list as well. Um, anyway, so, so things like that, where I, I do think that like, we'll see what happens on that particular case, but I feel like the, like the voice of people doing runtime use of types, we're not the only people, are being heard better and like yeah i think things are going to like continue to improve
0: yeah there was a pep that proposed an optimization for typing that kind of broke the runtime behaviors of it a little bit for both of y'all
2: yeah it did in very in some edge cases and that's going to be going to be fixed soon by the successor pep absolutely so that that's really good generic alias is another thing that like kills us internally in pydantic i won't go into all of the details of it but yeah, we would. It, it seemed what the, the high level takeaway is that the typing community seemed happy with the idea that they might make a change to typing to make it easier for us. And I think that's also for, for the Pydantic team to engage better. And instead of spending ages, the problem is, right? Like you have a problem, you see a solution in typing, you submit the PR, even if it gets accepted in a week, which it won't, you wait five years before we can remove the code that, that deals with the other case. So it's very tempting not to engage with typing, but just go and write the work around. When we should be better Python citizens and go and submit the PR to see Python to try and fix it properly.
1: Yeah, what's your wish list for typing? (laughs) (laughs) So, well, the first thing is like this thing that I have been trying to work on and like trying to do to have like better ways to do documentation of the APIs Mm -hmm. that's also Mm -hmm. related to typing and to to the annotations. Like, let's see if I can pull it off. The the other thing is like, it's actually not that necessarily that related to the things that we have been talking about, but it's quite relevant for the data science and machine learning community. That is that there are many many APIs for many libraries that decorate in some way some function, and then the function is expected to give some types of values to the body of the function internally, but to be, to be able to receive different types of values. That sounds a bit abstract, but like that's that's the core idea that is like replicated across several libraries. And this will apply to, for example, to Ray, the distributed machine learning or computing system, to Dask, to I think. Daxter also uses something like that. Monad, this system for deploying uh, workloads and machine learning and things like that, also uses these types of ideas. Mm-hmm. So, there are many of these libraries that, like, the way that they are designed is that you create some function and then you're going to tell something to call this function. And then in the function, you say, I want to expect this value. And instead of you calling all the functions that will generate that value, you tell it, like, hey, distributed system, blah, 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 give me this value, execute this for me. But that means that you will have or no type annotations or invalid type annotations or red squiggly lines in some places or no auto-completion or auto-completion for the wrong things, just because there's currently no way to define this specific thing of saying, hey, this function after being decorated is going to be able to receive a different type than what it's going to give to internal. So I think that's something that And it's probably quite challenging and like a a big thing to tackle, but it's something that is replicated across several libraries in particular for these things that do distributed processing of uh, data. I think that's something that will be, that will be great to improve.
2: Does does paramspec fix, fix some of that
1: or? It's very close, but the, Param spec only does it for the param spec only does it for being able to sort of copy the params that come from one function to another. And actually, I use all that for, for example, for async and for other things to be able to uh, to get like auto completion for the decorated function or for the generated function or things like that. And and it will probably like the the change will probably be somewhere around param spec to be able to say like not just the param spec but. Like this function, it will not only have the param spec but will receive a modification like yeah. this of the parameters.
2: Almost making param spec generic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, one more typing question: Do you all think typing is going too far with like the generic stuff, and is it going too much like C plus plus and C sharp and Java, or is it is it still still good?
1: I, I think it's. I think the way Python is growing is super interesting because yeah. like. We all have to agree that Python three point twelve is not the same Python two point seven. Yeah. It's it's quite different. And I think it's a different in a good way. The
0: users are different and the li- the the focus of the, yeah, li- yeah, the runtime is different.
1: Yeah. And like the things that we can do with types now and like the fact that in Python we can access these types at runtime, which means like I don't know, I, I was always confused with the term runtime. It's like what does that mean? And it's like when you execute Python, the same Python code. Can inspect and like see what are those types? That's what FastAPI and Pydantic do. It's yeah. just like seeing like what are those types. We can do that in Python. You cannot do that in things like uh, TypeScript or you cannot do it in Java. You cannot do it in many other languages. You get access to this typing information to be able to do additional things with that like validation, data serialization, documentation, all that stuff. So I think that's to start. That's super powerful in Python. The, the, the language in Python for typings is not as powerful as, for example, TypeScript. That is just like so much stuff that you can do with that. <laughs> Nevertheless, I feel that in Python is just like, it's growing and it's growing organically. And like we have growing pains, you know, like there are some things that is like, oh, this this little thing here is, is slightly incorrectly named. Yeah. But like now there's a better way to do that in Python 3.10. So we don't care much about that in slightly incorrect name, things like that. Yeah, I feel like there's some tensions of people who are on the MyPy side and they want
0: perfect validation of I want to prove my code hangs together like a static compiler, and folks like you all who are like we want to leverage typing to make it behave in interesting ways, and maybe that behavior expression doesn't exactly match what it looks statically like, but it it is everybody wants it, but it's it might trip up MyPy, and I feel like there's this tension between those two things. That's kind of what I was thinking when I asked that I, question. I think
1: that's- there's a little bit of that, but at the same time, there's is much less than you could imagine. There are mm-hmm. so many people that are so close to you know core MyPy and these things that are actually very excited about the things that we are doing. So yeah. they're like you know like the, it's actually quite friendly. All the communication. It's just that there is some people that just don't really care about runtime types, and that's fine. But like I feel like it's much more you know much more closer together and like much more stronger than. Relationship, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's great.
2: Yeah, I, I think actually we've gone in that we've typing's got better for someone who's not like it's actually got less verbose, cleaner, easier to understand. You don't have to import Union; you can do pipe operator. You don't right. have to import list from typing; you can l- use list, which makes complete sense. Any is an unfortunate one, but I also understand why the any function might it would not make sense. Yeah, so I give any up. I, to I just be, I can't yeah.
0: deal with this part. So yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, no. In general, I think it's got much better. I do think that. The interchange between runtime so there's a pep open now to add to data class transforms a converter function. I forget exactly how it works, but I think that is awareness in the static typing space that that data gets converted when you construct something that looks like a data class so um no I think I think it's really positive. I think we're incredibly lucky that we're like I could say typescript is the other is in some ways the best untyped language typing system yeah but the fact that they're not available at runtime means we're we're killing it i think i spoke yeah. to someone who maintains a library that does uh, type analysis at runtime in typescript and all his types are strings and like they're valid typescript but they're strings and that's you know he was saying that doesn't matter and it's all fine i tend to feel like it probably <laughs> does a bit we're really lucky to to have them at runtime then you go to the other end where i've been writing a lot of rust I am, like, Rust. great, it has many advantages, but if you want to just get something done and not have to think too hard about what the types are, it's really nice. I write a lot of Python that's untyped when I'm just trying to get something to, something to work. I'm not a, like, everything must have a type on it kind of person. So, no, I think we're in a really great place, and I think most of the advantages are actually cleaning it up. So the new 6-something, six 649, the new generics syntax, to me, 695. <laughs> Um, the new there are two types of stuff, people in yeah. the world. There are people who know the names of their numbers of their peps, and the, <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone's sane. Uh, that, for me, cleans up generics, right? Yes, it's a fundamental change to the language. Yes, it makes the syntax of a function look a bit more like Rust or something. But like, if you look at it independently of our experience, it's a heck of a lot more elegant than importing TypeVar. All
0: right. Yeah, yeah. Let, let me ask you one that's this is pure, purely theoretical, because I don't think it'll get adopted, but we have int pipe none. We have optional event. A lot of languages have question mark for nullable types. Like it would be int. You could even say it like int. I'm not <laughs> sure. Is it an int? It could be an int. It might be nullable. I don't know, right? Or use int as an int. You just know. There's no question mark. And those types. What are your thoughts about like null, class, care?
2: I'm really, I'm really happy with the new situation and, and not having the optional that isn't optional. That's been a problem for a long time. So, not needing to use optional is a, is a being able to use. Pipe none is great. I, I actually think one of the things that's going to happen, with, particularly with the advent of the match syntax and with increased use of type dict, we're going to need a new union type that operates much more like an enum in Rust. So basically a union that keeps track of which member of the enum you have an instance of. I keep meaning to build a like, package to demonstrate what I mean, and I haven't got around to it. But like, if you have a union <laughs> of of type dicts, which is a legitimate <laughs> thing to do, it's effectively impossible without starting to do effectively validation to work out which member you're on. So I think we need, and it would be really neat if you could use a match expression to process each branch of your union. Sebastian? You already said that. Right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but like, you know, like I feel, I feel that way, I was saying that like, I feel Python is just like growing and like the typing system is, is growing. I feel it's growing in a very healthy way because it's not, you know, it's not like just some, some, some academics hidden in some corner somewhere saying like, this is how it I should be done. I did my grown.
0: thesis on, on this type yeah, system and yeah. here we are. And then are, like everyone
1: yeah, should yeah. just use it. It's just like a lot of hearing everyone and just mm-hmm. receiving the feedback from everyone and just like yeah, growing great. in the ways that it should grow. I think that's amazing. I think like we are, you know, it's like a kind of renaissance of, of like typing in Python and like how we can build all these things. I think yeah. that's amazing. I think it absolutely is. All
0: right, I think we're pretty much Out of time, we've used up all the various places we've escaped to at a shutting down conference here. Final question for you both. Just, you know, what's your big takeaway? What's the experience like here at PyCon? Like, how's how's it
1: been 2023? For me, it's, it's been amazing. It's my first PyCon in the U.S
0: oh it is it? yeah okay. like i have yeah. never
1: been uh, in a Python in the us i have been in Pycons in like many other places but not in the us mm-hmm. and like i got to see i got to put faces to so many handles in twitter and github <laughs> i got to meet you in <laughs> yeah, person yeah, that's yeah. So oh, amazing it's, wow it's great and like uh, a bunch of other people that that i only knew you know just like mm-hmm. on the internet a bunch of core developers and like that's so cool they are so cool like i knew they were super cool but just like you know Talking on Twitter and like yeah. then him in person—that's that's, that's uh, amazing. It's really, my favorite part of the whole conference.
0: It's just the the people and the getting getting together.
1: Definitely, I I, th- I think I attended like two talks. Something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, just yeah. on the hallway talking so you, to you, everyone. You feel the hallway track? Yeah, right? yeah. I was all the way on okay, the hallway. track. awesome. Yeah. Well, that's great.
2: Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I remember Sebastian and I joined the Language Summit remotely two years ago, the year when there was no PyCon, and the most interesting bit of the like four-hour Zoom call was the five minutes between talks when people just chatted. And I yeah. remember then thinking how cool PyCon must be to have that same group of people like in a room rather than on a Zoom call. So um, no, I love it. I think it's uh, I've really enjoyed it. I, last year was my first year. This year's even more fun. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it's been great to meet you both in Oops, person. meeting you has
2: been the best bit Oh, involved.
0: thank you very much. No, no, it's been really great to spend some time with you all here. And thanks for coming on the podcast, uh, part two now here to, to wrap things up. So it's, thanks for taking the time. And congrats both on the success of your projects. They're, they're amazing. Thanks so
1: much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And thanks for seeing us.
0: Yeah, bye guys. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Thank you to our sponsors. Be sure to check out what they're offering. It really helps support the show. Take some stress out of your life. Get notified immediately about errors and performance issues in your web or mobile applications with Sentry. Just visit talkpython.fm Sentry and get started for free. And be sure to use the promo code talkpython, all one word. InfluxData encourages you to try InfluxDB. InfluxDB is a database purpose-built for handling time series data at a massive scale for real-time analytics. Try it for free at talkpython.fm slash InfluxDB. Want to level up your python we have one of the largest catalogs of python video courses over at talk python our content ranges from true beginners to deeply advanced topics like memory and async and best of all there's not a subscription in sight check it out for yourself at training.talkpython.fm be sure to subscribe to the show open your favorite podcast app and search for python we should be right at the top you can also find the itunes feed at slash itunes the google play feed at slash play and the direct RSS feed at slash RSS on TalkPython.fm. We're live streaming most of our recordings these days. If you want to be part of the show and have your comments featured on the air, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at TalkPython.fm slash YouTube. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code.